welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Camilla, Dawinia and Manila. And today we are talking about women in tech navigating challenges and driving change. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So before we go any further, let's do a round of introductions. Camilla, do you mind starting us off, please? Yes, thank you, Chris. Hi, um, hi everyone. So my name is Camilla, and uh, I am a software engineer, um, an NJ manager now uh, with Volvo Cars. Uh, so I moved to Sweden in 2015. And before that, I studied computer science in uh, Metu, a university with, in Ankara, and I studied computer science there. And then I, you know, I, I worked and I built my own company for about three years. I, I ran that one with my partner, and then we wanted to go and try ourselves abroad, and we came to Sweden. Um, yeah, but I so it's a long story with me. I was born in Uzbekistan because of uh, different reasons, but I'm Turkish by origin. I'm super excited to be where I am now, and uh, yeah, we can talk more later, but I will pass this on to Noelia. So, hello, everyone watching this, uh, Noelia. Um, I am in this podcast right now because I have known Chris for quite some years now. I think we're, you know, closing up to almost three years. Uh, when do I know him? Uh, it's, it's a long story. To make it short, um, for me, it started 20 years ago, wanting to be a doctor, ending up in the life science and healthcare industry, working more and more with tech, health tech, and leadership and innovation, um, leading up to me uh, being with Doctor.se as their head of innovation. And now I am working together with King and Candy Crush, and I'm also a consultant within innovation management uh, from a global perspective. And with that, I'm going to hand over the word to you, Marina. Thank you. Super excited to be here. So much fun that we finally start this. I've been waiting for it for a while. Um, my name is Marina. I'm working with Advanced 5G Services at Telenor. And um, when talking about that, you may see that we are rolling out 5G today. Uh, you may recognize that you sometimes uh, are accessing to our 5G network with your phones, if you have that. What we are basically doing is that we are providing capacity and better coverage and speed, but maybe it's hard to understand how you will actually be able to use that or benefit from that as a user today. And the main reason for that is because you are dealing or using 4G services on your phone, even the phone itself. So what I'm working with is the wave number five, which is basically how we perform like new capabilities in our network. Um, you may know buzzwords like network APIs, edge computing, network slicing, and mobile private network, for example. And this is the catalysator for how you will actually benefit from the capacity and the coverage and the things you see today, but this will come later on. So what I've been doing at Telenor is to drive the strategy 
and also very operational into our backbone. How are we launching these new functions? So this is functions that use cases such as metaverse, self-driving cars, etc., are keen to use in order for them to be part of our daily work. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, and it's really fun. My background, I've always been interested and keen to drive uh, business within tech-heavy companies. So when business and business value strategy is tightly connected to the technical stack that you are dealing with. Uh, so that's something I've always been very interested in. And I wrote my first row of code in Java in my uh, high school. So it basically started there. So kind of a business-oriented background, but also been hacking some code myself as well. Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, thank you very much all for the introductions. And um, now we're here to talk about women in tech and navigating the challenges. I've spoken to each of you and we've all spoken together about where do we want to go with, with this conversation and what we what do we want to get out of it. And you each came with a question and phrase that we want to go into greater detail and understand and clarify further. So Melina, what we're going to do is start with your question. And you came to me and said, what does working in tech really mean? The importance of increasing the interest in tech for the future. Great question to start us off. Can you just go into a little bit more detail for me, please? Yeah, for sure. And I think because you you were you asked like, okay, let's bring something to the table here. And something that I feel very close at heart is to, or how to make younger females being interested in tech and working in tech. And I think when I was young, I kind of thought that if you are reading math or programming or uh, physics, like tech subjects within school, even though it may be like lower grade school or even universities, you are going to be a software engineer or a programmer, or you're going to work with computers if you know how a computer works. And I think this is very important to, to, you know, highlight as a subject. And that's what I want to bring to the table because I've been, you know, reading math, I've been doing uh, programming studies, but always related to business and how to drive business. And I am not an engineer today. I work with tech and I work with a cross-functional team with diversity and different backgrounds, driving sustainable business in a tech-heavy environment. And I think this is something I really want to bring to the table. Like, how are we looking into someone who are actually working with tech? I think it's important to um, to understand that and, and dig a bit into that in order to maybe get more younger females uh, reading tech-heavy uh, subjects um, when you are younger in order to be part of, of the businesses going forward. Um, and I think when looking to myself, uh, that was very challenging. I was the only girl reading math and, and data in, in high school. Um, I didn't have any female looking up to. I think it was kind of uh, hard to find yourself and figure out your, your own way going forward. But I think this is very important to, to highlight that even though like we have different aspects of working with tech, it can be that you will become an engineer or an architect, etc. And that's totally fine, but it could also be benefit you doing and understanding the subjects from some level at least in order to work with other parts of the company um so that's just my view on it okay okay very nice very nice to hear now who would like to go into a bit more detail like to start off camilla um yes of course so we we all work for tech but i guess tech doesn't work for us at some uh, 
you know, points. Now I've I've missed a little bit a part of what you said, uh, Malina, because it froze for me here. Uh, but um, so, Chris, we we are still discussing what it means to be working in tech part, right? I think that was yes. the question. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, it's it was also interesting. I guess I can the best uh, I can do is just to give like how it was for me, like why I am in tech and how I got here. At the beginning, like you said, Malina, like it was all about grades and whatnot at school, and I was uh, I was a I was a good student, so I, I studied hard, and I, I had like top notes, but uh, I really wasn't provided that much opportunity to even know what uh, being in tech would mean because I started in Uzbekistan and in Uzbekistan actually seeing a computer was like uh, you know touching a miracle <laughs> so then I went but what I wanted to know what, what I did know that I wanted is for myself to get a college education abroad and then when I got a chance to go to Turkey and study uh, there um, I got I did a little bit of research went talked to people who were in Turkey and uh, you know those that I trusted so they said uh, if I'm if I have it, it in me then I should go for engineering and I applied uh, for that um, so I studied computer science without really understanding anything about it uh, but I guess my lucky my luck was that you know I also fell in love with it later when I got into it uh, as, as hard as it was because uh, concepts wise it was very different to uh, to what I knew before um, so I think it's uh, now nowadays it's very different. Nowadays people know when we say in tech, we we work in tech. It's much easier to explain what that means. But uh, maybe 15 years ago, and for certain countries like you know these developing countries, that was a very um, new concept. So I, I still uh, I'm not sure if I managed to explain to my parents uh, what I'm actually doing uh, in, in that as well. So I remember when I um, when I you know, was accepted to this uh, university for computer science. My dad said, "Okay, don't you don't you don't be sad about it. It's 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 something still, anyways." And then I went on to build a career that I love and that allows me to you know uh, fulfill all my uh, ambitions so far. Uh, yeah. So, but like what I do in order to promote this, like you know, I I just make it visible wherever I can, uh, like in through platforms like this, for example, right? Because I think it's very uh, It's very important that we actually build. Um, the understanding for those that maybe lack it a little bit in many different places in the world and by making sure now it's all everything is online so I'm super happy and excited to be joining these sessions also to actually promote this like you know the, the tech is very interesting you everyone has to be in there and uh, once a year going to a women in tech event which uh, hosts like 2,500 women uh, or like women and men everyone who wants to join that is something that I try to do you know every time that I get a chance because that again you know listening to the stories of people who had to go through so many obstacles in order to even become someone in tech um, motivates so yeah uh, working in tech takes a lot of um, uh, a lot of work for some uh, because it's new um, but I think uh, you know building Building your career in tech um, is worth it, um, nevertheless. So that's yeah, that's why. Like, like I said, on my part, I try to be vocal about it and to sort of make it known that you know uh, you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be worried about whatever challenges. Everything is overcomable, and then the rest is just fun, actually. But but isn't it all also like because what I feel I think we have a bit of a different roles today, Camila. You are still maybe producing and looking and working very close to the actual technology. But what I feel 
like in my day-to-day work, I don't touch technology, but I talk about it all the time in order to have a strategical fit and, and move in, in a certain direction. And being able or having spent time on actually doing some level of programming, you know, in school or being reading some uh, technical courses, that helps a lot. So, and I think that's really important that even though you are reading things that may not be at heart, when I was young, I didn't want to be a programmer. It was tough. I wasn't the best in math. I was actually really bad at math. But then I was told that if you want to be work with certain things, you need to be good at it in order to drive what and work with the things you want to work with when you are older or in a certain business. And I'm so happy that I did that time today. And I also think it's important that even though, because in order to get more females into tech, I think it's important to focus on the young because that's when you are nursing and that's how you, you know, uh, get the people into it. And I think then it's very important to be clear on, even though you are reading a programming class, you are, it's not that, that you want to be a programmer, but you will use that experience and knowledge when you're going forward, because it's important when understanding how everything goes together, especially when we are going into a future where things are connected, digitalized and 30 to 40 years ahead, the world and the companies will have totally different. So. Uh, I think this is really important. Noelia, you're also in tech, but you are, <laughs> I think you're coming from similar like me, aren't you? Kind of. I, I, um, I, I have had more like an organ- organic transition into the tech tech world to say, um, except for that I was playing a lot of Amiga 500 and Commodore as a kid. But as I said from the beginning in the introduction, I was aiming to become a doctor. And, you know, everyone that, that, that has been into a, uh, a hospital knows that hospitals are very um very technical uh, it's it's a big part of the care that you can provide to the patients my background lies within intensive care and, uh, and anesthesia and you know everything that spans from a, a ventilator to down to the uh, patient surveillance systems and um all the data management and these kinds of things have been from the beginning of of the 20s 20 21st century uh, has been ever increasing um, and and also the use of tech inside that it's from from the beginning like around 2003 2004 and 5 it was mainly about how to digitize uh, the work that you are doing as a nurse nurse assistant or doctor how can you make sure that you know all the values that you extract from the machines are going into the system um, and that was actually also how I started uh, to work more and more with tech working with uh, uh, the implementation of systems to to Karolinska University Hospital in Stockholm. And and then that took a really big spin when I became one of the people responsible for developing the new uh, intermediate care uh, for kids at Astrid Lindgren Children's Hospital. And uh, that's more where I felt like, you know, my passion was lit for for tech and, you know, all the, uh, the possibilities that the new tech came with as well. But this was still... You know, in a time when it was really hard to trust technology, I remember the first surgery that was done by a robot. Uh, Claude Colleen was the surgeon's name, and I, I still remember it like it was, you know, yesterday. It was the biggest thing ever that happened. And nowadays, 20 years down the line, you can see robotic surgery happening every day. It's like, you know, the new normal, um, having systems that surveil the patients and then monitoring uh, vital signs. It's, it's just... It's just the normal. 
and being in that, seeing the value that this can contribute to to each and every human being. I've been working within heart transplant surgery as well, and you know, just you know, it's amazing that you can keep a heart living four hours on a, a jet flight from Finland over to uh, maybe uh, Amsterdam or something like that, and and that's all due to technology. It's it's not it's not just by happening and by a chance that happens, and and seeing like that we can save lives and so on using technology in the right way that also you know sparked my interest for looking more behind the the um uh, the scene so how does this work i remember the first time when i came in contact with the concept of apis what is an api how does that work and and you know so rudimentary and now that now i'm working with king as a director of engineering it just you know it's light years apart what what i was doing Back then, and then in the Stockholm, in the region of Stockholm, I was also working uh, as one of many people behind the new uh, development of the platform for how to digitize and digitalize the entire patient journey, from when you call one one two until you get uh, dropped off at the emergency ward, and and just seeing you know all the possibilities that that there are using technology, like yourself, Malini, you come from. The, yeah, the, the IoT business and, and you can see the use of IoT uh, within the 5G network and, and having worked within similar parts but from the user and then you know the the part where we can see that this is life-changing for a lot of people that has been yeah. really valuable for me and, and, and I think that you know leaving my medical background behind was just the smartest thing I could do because working within tech has been and is being the, the most interesting thing that I've ever done and if you add on another layer that I'm working with as as, um, as an innovation uh, professional, um, it's like you know combining the use of technology with tomorrow's possible values that you can you know get from using it and actually being bold enough to try out new things um, is something that's really you know that's kicking my my wheels spinning uh, to say the least and. Um, mm. um, that's one of the mo- biggest reasons to why I think that we need to promote the use of technology in a better way uh, from a societal perspective, from a governance uh, perspective as well. Um, and how can we help, uh, you know, global entities to to spread the word of how we can use technology in a better way. Not everything has to do in about uh, do with how we can, you know, use chat GPT, which is a big thing right now to, you know, exchange all of the the workforces all over the planet you know writing you fantastic codes uh but someone needs to do this as well and 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 um, someone t- talks about you know the danger of ai but i still i still would say that ai is, is, is man-made and um we could you know just switch off the servers and ai would never like you know manually be able to use the switch <laughs> if we're not you know talking about robotic which we did just now so uh yeah yeah I would also, I would also like because I, I think you are, you are really on something there, Nuelia. I had a meeting with um, like a hospital in Sweden and also listened to what's happening in Finland. And like fifty to seventy percent of the nurses' time is like spent on non-patient-related uh, issue. Like a digital solution can really have a big impact. But I also think like the challenge with technology is the weakness of technology and i think in order to understand because when things is getting more digitalized there is a lot of innovation and value i think that's super clear but when being into technology we also understand that this is super fragile we were laughing before signing into this uh, live event because i am going with a headset with wire 
uh, and I work with wireless and because wires always works kind of. So, and I think that's the challenge and that's also the benefit I have had at least when understanding the, the differentiation of programming languages, how the computers fit together, how the network works on a like strategical point of view, but also having some hands-on uh, experience on it because that's when you can look into technology with a critical eye. And I think that's super important when going into the future as well, that it's not only having a solution that you can trust, and that can be different aspects of trust. It can be that the solution is actually working, even though things that you are depending on are not working, for example. But it could also be trust related to data in that solution. And if you are not understanding what's the difference between a cloud or an on-premises solution or uh, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to be very challenging to dig into when building a strategy or uh, rolling up a new infrastructure, such as we are doing here, here with 5G or building use cases on the top with a huge potential, a lot of inf innovation. So what I was just like, and what I'm so happy about and what I'm you know, keen to talk more about is that even though you are working in different angles, it could be from the value perspective, the use case side, or, um, or the infrastructure side, the platform side is always important in order to have a critical eye on what we are building because we will de be dependent on technology in the future to understand the dependence we have and how to mitigate the risks depending on that. And I think you're onto something there. I mean, sustainability is one of the, the, the most important things now. And you can see the pin I have for the global sustainable uh, goals. And and I think that we have to understand that that the use of technology can, can, can vastly uh, accelerate um, sustainability throughout the world. It also comes with, you know, um, making healthcare more available to more people throughout the world. Uh, but the, we have also, you know, the, the backside of it and it's, you know, energy usage um, and the greenhouse effects of, of, you know, creating the electricity that's needed for, for doing it. But I think in the long run, I think using technology in the right way will also help us to to achieve the the goals that we have set out to, to try to, um, you know, um, reach when it comes to, um, you know, mitigating the greenhouse effect and, and you know, making making the world more more of a democratic society to live in. And, you know, just, just the fact that we can be in this call talking to each other. Camila, you just arrived from the States. How dare you, you know, get your ass on a plane and trust the systems in the, in the aircraft? Like you're literally putting your, your life in the hands of the technology there. And I mean, when we start to talk about like maybe I'm going to be replaced by ChatGPT, that's just you know it's ridiculous, but it's also fun because we are so inconsistent in the way that we think around technology and the use of it. Um, but yeah, okay, okay, Melina, what are your thoughts then? Oh, we went into quite quite some detail. Does that answer your question in a sense? I think this is not a question that you are able to answer in like such short minutes. But to, to summarize what we've been discussing, I think we can agree on that there are different levels of, uh, uh, you know, value and areas and businesses and also rules when talking about technology. And that even though you are reading tech subjects when you are young, it doesn't mean that you are going to be a programmer. I think everything just merged into each other, but also the importance of understanding technology from different levels. It could be from the value it can give you, the innovation, how to be more efficient, but it 
it's also challenging because we are dependent on that. So in order to, to work within tech, uh, you will have different roles and responsibilities, but it will be important to to understand what we are doing and what we are working on going forward. Yeah. And mainly just to wrap this up, I think, you know, the value of uh, getting into tech in one way or another while you're a student at school or earlier in college, even if you're not intending to actually become, you know, a tech professional at the end, there's <clears throat> there's still value in that. Like I know from a a friend of mine who is a city planner, she, she was collecting this data manually for I don't know how many weeks, and then she sat down and sort of manually calculated. Uh, she was working on assessing a, the risk of uh, a, an old building when it comes to how risky it would it was for that building to maybe uh, undergo a fire or something, you know. So in, in, in order to understand that, she did a lot of manual work, but actually uh, she later realized, had she known like one program language, there was so much data in that that could have been automated and basically calculated in a matter of uh, minutes, seconds, rather than her going from place to place and collecting all the data and then sitting and manually calculating that. So to your point, I think it's very important that we bring this, uh, you know, we surface the interest towards uh, tech and any kind of program language in any uh, stage at school. It will benefit whether you end up in tech or not. Um, it will, like to to many other other professionals. I think it will add a sort of richness to their knowledge and uh, make them even more creative in their own field. For, for like, it, that's to, to just say the least. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, what we'll do, we've got a little bit of time before we jump to the next question. I know one of the questions that have popped up is, and we just sort of covered it a little bit, is how to build a career in tech without any academic background in tech. What is the best response for this? Who would like to take point? I think, like, I can start. I think, like, in the team that I'm working with, with extremely competent people, not everyone has a technical background. I mean, creating teams especially when going to the future, it should be cross-functional. So it's going to be teams with different backgrounds where we can challenge each other, etc. I think what is important is to be curious about tech and be curious in the sense that if you work in a cross-functional team, you may have people that are super technical heavy and that are talking this kind of language. And then you have people that are more on a high level, but you need to be able to connect the dots until what you are achieving and, and the goal going forward to actually produce something. And I think the key there is to be curious um, and to maybe start working in a tech-heavy company and start to ask questions around your, you and maybe within the team. Yeah, and I think maybe a good... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. No I just I think that was a... I, just to continue on your thought, I think one good way also to maybe, you know, to build enough knowledge and there is like vast uh, amount of uh, like resources out there in the, on the internet, like to start somewhere. And then, you know, if you if you build enough knowledge to build uh, one or two personal projects that you can use as an example, then to get into some kind of tech company and then from there to keep learning and growing and definitely always and each minute of the day to have like the learning mindset, like growth mindset, because there is, a, you, even for those uh, of us, for example, who finish tech uh, specific, like, uh, you know, departments in universities, it never stops where, like, when you graduate from university, I think it starts when you graduate from the university, because that's when, and tech, it, it changes daily, sometimes even from hour to hour. Like as long as you have uh, the growth mindset, you know, just learn everything every, everywhere, wherever you can. And like you said, 
um, Malina to ask questions. You know, I, I, I remember times when I was maybe trying to learn a new language when I would just lock up my colleague in a room and just ask all the questions until uh, either of us was like, you know, on the verge of, um, yeah, passing out or something. And it's, it's just, you know, go as deep as you can until you feel comfortable enough. Um, it's a good thing that not having a tech degree isn't an obstacle nowadays. It's all about how much you build yourself up in that. Yeah, and I would also like to add, like, ask yourself, what is tech for you? Uh, because we've been talking about the usage part of, you know, the user side of tech. Uh, we also mentioned the more tech-heavy side to be a, an engineer, to code, to make, you know, things happen, you know, work the magic and all of these kinds of things. But also, if you want to be working within tech, go to yourself and find your true self. And and is it you know, for my sake, I'm I'm more of a you know on the management side, and and that's one of the most important things to you know what kind of perspective are you willing to have on on your tech life? Uh, I am not an engineer from from the beginning, and I've been working as um, you know with general management, trying to build teams, the organization, because this is something that that I see and everyone that's been in an, in a manager position for a long time. There's huge challenges on the organizational sides to build teams, high functioning teams, and healthy organization uh, to find the right talent to 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 do the right things. And and you don't necessarily have to work within tech with the tech, like to do the code or even on the usage side. Every tech organization needs a good leader as well. And I think that that's one of the most important things to to actually make a decision on which uh, approach you will take to tech and what, what it is to you. Okay, thank you very much for, for answering that question. There's some really great points. What we'll do then, we'll, we'll move on. And Camilla, we'll, we'll come to yourself. Um, you came to me and we were speaking about how can men in tech be allies and advocates for women to help drive change and what actions can they take to promote greater gender diversity and inclusion? Fantastic question. Can you go into a bit more detail for me, please? Yeah, so I think, again, um, speaking from my own experience, um, I've had privilege to work with, um, you know, all sorts of people. Most of them um, I learned tons of things from. But what I think I enjoyed the most is when I see a male colleague to proactively try educate themselves on any of the challenges that, you know, women might be going through in like in, within the tech industry. That's when I, when I enjoy just to sit and watch, watch them to uh, literally uh, be aware of the fact that it's not maybe uh, it's not the same conditions maybe for men and women. It's changing rapidly. It's much better than what it was, and you know we are changing that. We are fixing that, uh, but there is still room for improvement as with anything else. So I think. Uh, so from some examples, I've had uh, some of my best allies have been men and it helps you a lot because um, uh, as, as a woman, um, I think it's, I don't want to generalize it, but at least to speak uh, for myself, I do have a certain level of self-doubt as uh, probably most of us do. Then uh, when, whenever I get a chance to actually talk about that with a colleague, um, it's it's different when I talk to uh, you know to those um, that know me, but then when like a male colleague comes up and comes forth and points out something that uh, they found to be amazing in what I did, that's when it really motivates me quite uh, quite much, and I try to actually give this feedback to the male colleagues around me so that they are aware that it's very important for them to be speaking up 
uh, and maybe to also be promoting, you know, praising um, not only women, of course, but like uh, try to be aware that women maybe get less of that. So uh, just uh, be uh, be the advocate. And also, I think it's important uh, and quite helpful. I also heard this from my male colleagues uh, in recent years when they get mentorship and sponsorship from women, because when women come to the point where they have enough knowledge and confidence to actually now start helping maybe younger colleagues and especially you know male colleagues, then uh, these are the women who've gone through their share of challenges maybe on their way to that point. And then because they're aware of that, they can raise this man to the next uh, step in their career with the awareness of how they can this support the women in their team as well. Um, and that's something that um, also I think is, is quite powerful. Um, it's, I mean, there is a lot of scientific evidence to uh, the fact that diversity makes teams more perf uh, perform higher and it makes, uh, you know, the quality of the outcome much higher and better. So there is no doubt in that. It's all about how we promote the diversity. It's not, again, only about women, of course, but any kind of minority group, right, then we have to be promoting, uh, sort of promoting the idea that they, those are the ones who need the most support um, when needed. And, uh, you know, wonders can happen when you find that kind of an ally because they bring out points that you don't realize about yourself. And I think that's very, that's very important because that builds, that builds confidence. And with confidence, uh, just your goals now are much higher than they used to be. So on my behalf, I'm thankful for everyone who has done that for me. And I'm trying to make sure that I also help others uh, be aware of those, uh, that kind of partnership. It works best for everyone. You know, men learn from that and women also. It's just, it's, I think it's a two-way street. Everyone learns from it. I think those were maybe the ones that I can remember now I can maybe add. But uh, I wonder what Malina and Noelia, you guys think about it. Should I start, maybe? <laughs> I think you are on something very serious there, Camilla, and I can find myself in it as well, like with unconsciousness around technology, because maybe it's coming from being questioned, um, like because of your gender and going forward. I have experience of that. We've been talking about, you know, uh, reading subjects within technology, etc. That has been super tough. Uh, when I was in, in uh, high school, I was questioned by teachers if I had done the tests within programming because of my gender. And I needed to have my mom with me in the meetings to confirm that it was actually me who had done the test. I hope that this, you know, are better today. Um, I also know that, you know, you, you learn program languages in a younger age in Sweden, which is very good, I think. Uh, but I think that this comes, you know, with you when getting older and you can find, yeah. And I think you find yourself in, in situations as well. I still do. Sometimes when I'm going to room, I may be questioned if I know certain level of technology. I need to prove myself because it's basically accepted. Uh, but I think that the you know the solution for this is much more complex. It's a super complex uh, topic, and I think it has to do with the bigger or wider level of understanding around diversity and around the working with cross-functional teams. I think we're coming from a background or a history where we have built big companies in silos. So you have the same competence in the same teams. And that may also affect like if you are really having the acceptance of different uh, 
opinions and if you bring a subject up do you have a team and a culture where everyone can speak up like is it is it a big tolerance a high tolerance of discussing certain you know topics going forward strategies etc within the company not so heretical uh, for example i think if you have that and i think as you also say camilla like um there is proof that diversity is beneficial and profitable for companies and i think when going forward in in more challenging environment if you create this kind of accepting cultures accepting organizations working cross functionals we talk about different competence in teams but it could also be different genders i think this will come hand in hand and i think that's where the solution acts um that's just my my opinion what about you noelia well <clears throat> sorry i i have i've i have for sure been uh, <laughs> surviving a, a lot of years um but i think it's 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 coming down it's you know it, it's being reduced down to in my head at least to you know decency uh, from from everyone that you're working with i mean like i my background lies within healthcare uh, and that's for sure not a male dominated industry I think I lived through the worst moments when I was working there, um, having seen kind of both sides of it, uh, but it's different, right? Uh, being approached this way from men is more of a patronizing uh, character. And from women, it's it's more of the times, I mean, I'm, I can only speak for myself, but I have felt more nice in my back from women than from men. Uh, but from men, it's like, I'm superior to you. It's it's like I have you know this self-pronounced uh, uh, power of, of of everything that we're doing, and, and sometimes this comes to me in in informs when I start to reflect on you know the composition of you know C-level managers, and you know it's 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 purely a male, and that leads me into always questioning like why the hell is it only men in this room, and why is it ties and and suits everywhere, and um, uh, but somewhere down the line, uh, for myself in, in my career, I, I started to to not accept it. Of course, that also led to uh, a lot of questioning and and, and a lot of, of you know of, of missed opportunities, I would say. And and sometimes you you found yourself in in an organization where you from the beginning you were you know appraised, you had you know everything was lying in front of you, and your career was just you know spiking. And then uh, I remember this as it was yesterday as well. Uh, my manager, who was the CTO of the company, I was the, uh, uh, you know, working with innovation. I had presented, you know, a really great uh, strategy. It was like, this is the best thing that ever happened to us. Uh, but in the same time, I, I also pointed towards that maybe there were weaker parts of, of strategy. And, and, and this was where, like, you know, the old male uh, C-suite <laughs> They just came to one conclusion. It was I had to leave the company, and and it was just like you know it was so painting. It was so, and it was also obviously very painful. It was during the uh, the pandemic or in the beginning of the pandemic, and it just you know, what would diversity have done um, to 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 this constellation of people, and and what would have that meant? What would that have meant to me in this perspective? Could someone have advocated for me in, in some way? And and this is like, you know, this is where I'm starting to question like the, the whole concept around, you know, men and women in, in the business. And that's why I'm starting out to say like, it's around consciousness and it's around like how we treat each other, culture and these kinds of things. 
But one thing that I have found important during my career is also having someone that can, you know, cover your back from the knives, uh, using their patronizing ways towards other women that might be also hostile towards you. Uh, because sometimes you're just too weak to stand on your own feet and it's nice to have someone to lean on. And having the people that's not seeing female uh, co-workers or, or colleagues as, as a threat or, you know, something else than, than just, you know, a colleague is crucial for, for everyone in the organization. But is that, again, between men or female, uh, men or women, or is it just, you know, um, intra-human perspective of it? Um, that's just my question around it. Um, I think to that question, uh, you know, the way that I've reasoned about this, like you said, uh, you know, in especially above a certain level of management, we do have mostly men, right? And in that room of full of men, maybe with one woman, whenever that woman speaks up, it, it's very, very helpful if some other male actually then goes and kind of supports that and advocates also, because unfortunately, the decision making is still within the men group, mostly. And it's easier for them to decide on whatever is promoted. Yeah, and then that's that's a bit of a generalizing, but like you know, all I'm worried is that it probably is, um, yeah, easier for for men to just decide between themselves, and it's those actually, uh, I call them like you know, um, yeah, it's basically those advocates who at least give uh, give a chance to uh, to the to the female voices, um, but like practically do that just because they are aware that it's way too easy just to look the other way. Um, and then when and then when it comes when it comes to women, you know, I think what helped me so far is of course like, you know, the collaboration between women is also such a powerful tool because whenever like it's it's different things that you can share with your female colleagues as as you can share with your male colleagues. Like your female colleagues probably will understand the challenges much better and then you can at least go and talk to them just to get that out of your head so that you don't act uh, you know, on whatever is in your brain that's eating you inside out. So the talking and getting that support from them is very crucial. So having support from that, but then uh, when it comes to decision making and all, um, it's just as important to also get the support of men. And I think men should be aware of that when they work uh, within groups. Yeah, I think you're pointing towards something which is, uh, I mean, it's 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 a question of life and death for female in, in, in any industry. It's just, you know, raising the awareness from the men's side. Uh, because male colleagues that are, you know, aware of this um, are also more prone to, uh, you know, defending you and, and speaking up for you, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I, um, I am very lucky at the moment at, with, when I'm working with King because we have this, you like incorporated into corporate culture and, and these kinds of things. And, and the manager I have today is actually, um, uh, I've never been in, in a situation where I felt so taken care of as I do today. I mean, even a director needs to be taken care of from time to time because it can be very windy on, the, on, on sort of the top end. You feel sometimes very lonely, and and that's where it's you know for me at least has been very 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 valuable to have someone shielding you. And and previously it has been in this context where I've been you know the only woman in in the room, and then had to you know, you know the the, the cliche that we always uh, hear is like a woman has to work twice as much to achieve the same uh, kind of achievements as as a man do. That 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 really is correct, um, if you ask me. I think. I think just to put like my view on it, I would say again, like I would like to take a step back and like talk about this subject in a, in a bigger manner. 
Uh, I would like to connect like what you are giving examples of here into other kind of challenges that there may be in driving change within a company, for example. And a change can be a transformation. Let's talk about the digitalization of the hospitals that you've been working with, Noelia. That's a huge change as well. That's about working in a different way, pushing the organization, maybe conducting different teams, etc. And I think if you build companies, and I think you need to build companies that are acceptable in this kind of change and adaptable to change, you will also get an, a solution for the examples that you are giving here in that matter as well. I think from my perspective, at least, um, and from my, um, my background and what I've been through when working with the companies is that I, I would not see the solution men to men. I don't see the solution of changes and challenges in companies from person to person either. I see it as teams and group of teams and culture and organization and driving strategies and how do you build your business cases? Who are you, who are you, you know, giving um, a bigger position, a better position and grid, et cetera? How are you um, recruiting people? What's the organization culture behind that? And I think that comes into this context as well. Uh, so I think, um, I, I would say, Camilla, it's, it's nice to have like men that are clapping, clapping your back. But I also think it's important to to take this into a bigger context. It's a company context. It's a cultural context. It's an organizational context. Um, yeah, I agree, definitely. Okay, Camilla, does that, does that sort of answer your question? Does that give you a greater oversight? Yeah, I think I think that's a big question. There's a lot of answers, and there is no like straightforward uh, way to answer it. But I think we we covered, you know, the parts that I could think of as well. So I think we're good. Okay, fantastic. Well, what we'll do, we'll move on to Noelia's question. Last but not least, eh? Um, so we were speaking about how do you manage organizations where change is so obviously needed, but you are met with resistance and or an organization not ready for change? How do you navigate the politics around innovation and how do you manage your stakeholders? Fantastic, fantastic question. Can you go in a bit more detail for us, please, Noelia? Yeah, I can. How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, so uh, to, in all honesty, um, having the background that I do have, but working mainly within innovation for the past three thousand years, it feels like I've seen it all. It feels like you know everything is coming back again. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that both you, Malina, and Camila, you're feeling the same when when you're trying to achieve new things, and and it's just like met like, oh my god. And what is the value with this, and and how can we be sure that this is going to have the the uh, the exact value that we are saying now? Because that lies in the future, dealing with uncertainties. And I think that somehow, you know, the questions that you have put into the sheet here is is kind of you know supporting this as well. Because uh, I'm, I'm I mean I can only speak for myself, but having been head of innovation or responsible for for innovation for huge global corporations it's always not been it's it's never been um easy to drive change and and make sure that you know everything is needed all the way up to to sea level to make you know business crucial um decisions to to maybe switch direction for the company uh, start new businesses and then find these new ways forward this also led me up to uh, back in 2000 and let's see now in May 2021, I featured an article in, in Financial Times magazine Sifted talking about innovation theater. 
Uh, and innovation theater is, is something that I've come across a lot of times. And, and that will be like, you know, we were talking, we're in a company and we're talking about how innovative we are, that we're driving the change in societal uh, measures, you know, globally even, um, it, in you know, to the deepest levels. But when you're on the inside, you just see that, you know, these are big fancy ass words. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just crazy how much talk it is around it, but no real um, efforts are put down to it. Uh, there are no bets placed on this. And, and, and you see that your business might be uh, going towards uh, the end of the line and that you desperately need to find something new that will create a new value for, for your organization. And, um, it's, it's like being an underdog and trying to explain to the business leaders that, you know, we need to do this and we need to do this now, but it can also be something small as setting, you know, innovation strategies in place or the process of supporting uh, exploration in, 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 in an organization. So, um, it came to a, um, or I came to a, a solution that never to work with innovation again and never to take the word innovation in my mouth. I hated innovation. Um, and that's when, when Chris stepped into my life and saved my ass, I can say the least. Uh, it was, you know, the best timing ever. But that's why the question is, is for me so, uh, it's going to be life-changing if you have the, the, the answers to it. I've, uh, I've tried many times to drive change and it's it's really it, you put yourself in a situation which is so vulnerable and it can be your success or it can be your death as a professional so how would you say that um do you drive and you know the change in the organization and how do you make sure that you get your word through and the message there and how do you navigate the politics around it when you know that you know some people are very um prestigeful maybe that you're putting their you know understanding of the world up for you know question and things like that how do you do that i think like talking from from my perspective is uh like how do you start a company you start to have a business case and you start to bring a team and you have an idea and you start to promote that and pitch that and then you get the decision that okay it looks good but we can't do the end to end because we don't have this certain money to invest but let's do a smart uh, a short release and test and trial out and i think in order, I think that's how I see innovation, that it's it's both challenging for the company that needs to do innovation. I think we need to understand that as well, uh, that it's not only hard to drive innovation, it's actually hard to go through an innovative <laughs> process. Um, so acceptance into both ways and also act on, on it as if it's a new company that you're going to build to start from from the highest level with the business cases and the value and the outcome and the investment but also in order to to you know staff with the right kind of people i think it's impossible to drive innovation if you are based in silos i think you need to have cross-functional teams and then you need to have processes that helps to work cross-functionals between the silos and that can be very very tough but in order to have that kind of structure you will also go in the right direction. But I also think you need to be very patient, Noelia. Uh, I think patience is, is the key uh, to... Yeah. I think I think that that's uh, where I was going to get at as well. Patience is really the key. Um, and, you know, working for a, com for a car manufacturer. So it's uh, I can definitely relate to this. It's a huge company and it's... Being a car manufacturer is very, very different to being the tech company, which is what we aspire to actually 
be and become. We've been in this transformation period for the last couple of years now. We want to become the software-driven company and to be a true tech company because that's the the only way to actually make difference. Um, you know, in in today's world, when when it comes to the um, competition between the automakers, anyway. Um, so. Um, I witnessed many cases where, you know, uh, many people have this like huge amount of motivation to actually do something different and, and improve, improve things. It can be related to everything because as a car manufacturer, you, of course, are, um, you are a company which uh, has to plan very, very well upfront. And so like uh, before, for example, designing a new car or building a new car, it's a long process of actually, dis you know, designing that car, going into every detail, taking your time. Uh, perfecting it and so on um, and then when as a tech company you have to have a very different uh, setup you know, like as a tech company you have to be quick and you know fast on your feet and you know be quick in learning and maybe failing but then still learning keep it uh, keep the feedback loop coming back to you so that you learn from what you try out um, so that in itself, the way of working in itself is a huge uh, innovation challenge uh, for companies like this. Uh, so what I, what I found to not work most of the time is when, for example, if you hire new people who come from a different type of company where maybe they have been successful in implementing uh, different kinds of innovation, then they come into the company. I think what's important in that case is actually for those people to realize that, yes, they are here to drive the change together with the people who already are in the company, but they really have to take some time, be patient and, you know, look, listen and learn first. They really have to spend some time because unless, uh, as, uh, unless as a newcomer, you are perceived as someone who really put some effort into understanding the current processes, the current ways of working, the current technology, tech stack and everything, unless the already existing people accept you for the person who has respect to that and, uh, you know, then you are seeing more about like someone just from outside trying to change things and change them very quickly. And then that also damages the spirit of innovation in, in my experience. So I think the way that I try to go about it is whatever needs to change, uh, first I need to understand it as, as best as I can, because unless I understand that whatever change that I, uh, you know, try to make to it will probably, someone will be opposing that in one way or another. Uh, because maybe it kind of uh, is against uh, what they're used to and so on. So first understanding learning and then just being patient and consistent in your message, uh, you know, just pointing out all the benefit that will this will lead to. Um, yeah, that, I think that's, that's where I try to be at when I try to approach. And then of course, building, uh, you know, like get allies, get, get uh, people to understand you and get support. Um, and the bigger the corporation, the, the bigger the company, the harder and more uh, time-consuming this is. That's all I know. I don't know if that helps. I know it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one. Like innovation, like I said earlier, it's there is uh, yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, so so um, let's just put it out there. You have an organization, a big ass company, which is both uh, with one foot in the tech industry and the other foot is on, on you know the value creation side of it uh my my challenges has always been coming in you've been hired into this organization and and, and they say we have to do innovation and the question from my side has always been like so what is innovation to you guys 
because in order to to make innovation happen, you have to understand like what is innovation for you guys. Because I think that innovation for is is one thing for Volvo, and uh, innovation is another thing for Malina's uh, company. So you have to really understand what you put into the word of innovation, and 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 this is where the politic politics comes into play. Um, it's 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 also really necessarily for a head of innovation or someone that's you know put on 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 the role to drive innovation to understand that they're not there to drive innovation. Uh, it's it should be all about you know enabling the organization to see the future, uh, to set the process around it, uh, to be to be able to say like this is a strategy that I think that you would benefit from. And it's an organizational strategy. You have to have a strategy for how you set up your innovation portfolio, uh, how much of it is going to be radical innovation, how much is incremental innovation, and how much is you know really disruptive innovation. Where do you place your bets? How do you do that? And what are the bets that you want to put into these baskets? And and you know how do you finance? Uh, how do you put money into the baskets as well how do you do the financial uh, you know forecast for that and how can you make sure that you get so many hits as a return to what you're doing um, instead of that because the challenges around politics and you know uh, has been exactly what you pointed out there because coming into the company you're going to be seen as you know a threat to the organization working especially in the tech industry you're going to be seen like you know this stupid person people are going to look at you like you know, she thinks that she knows it all. You know, she has no idea what we're doing. She has no idea what our product is. She has no idea about anything. And now she's going to come in here and tell us what to do. No, I'm going to enable you to get the time to actually spend on like your profession. Your expertise is needed here, but it's also needed for the company to take the next steps, to, to stay competitive and on the market, to stay relevant for your users so that you always have, you know, more inflow of users, creating a bigger user base and all these kinds of things. So that's that's kind of more where my challenge comes from to getting in there and, and, and having, you know, uh, the organization understand what they're asking for uh, in, in a political way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think like uh, where I'm coming from is, is like the opposite kind of because then it's like, okay, in order to move forward and get, for example, monetize on 5G, how do we scale on that? How do we, uh, you know, build new services on this new platform that we have built? The solution is innovative. So it's kind of built from the opposite. So, But then the, the question would be like, is, do they understand yeah. what innovation is? Or did they take a decision? Like, did they take a decision on innovation is X, Y, and Z for us? And I think if you don't do this as a company, you're running a very big risk of just, you know, missing the targets, talking about like, we have to become more innovative. What is that for you guys? And if you're saying that you have to be able to monetize more from 5G, well, then you have to really do a research and then you know, try to achieve the, the understanding of the market, what is needed now. And then from that, where would we see ourselves in five years from now? How can we take these in five years from now until next year? And how do we work, you know, deliberate uh, towards that? Because innovation is a buzzword. That's, you know, that this is my allergy, uh, allergy towards it. Because innovation is seen like this is the tool or this is the remedy for our sur survival as a company. That's wrong. Innovation is just a word that describes a state in the organization where you have processes in place which enables the people in the organization that has the knowledge how to do things 
to speed up processes. I mean, you know, linear product development is going to take you from point A to point B during a certain amount of time. How do we speed that up? Obviously, with processes, ways of working, changing the culture, being more uh, open to taking risks, and and also being uh, more, you know, open to to failures. And then stop talking about failures as failures. Start talking about failures as learnings. Um, I was almost killed by uh, Vinova's um, uh, uh, general manager a lot of years ago when I, I asked him, like, why do we have this penalty culture within uh, within the public sector in Sweden? And, and why do we finance our innovative efforts with tax money when we have, you know, managers that are so frightened to lose their jobs, they they don't want to do you know groundbreaking things to you know create more value to the people. It's because we have this culture of saying like this is a failure and no one wants to fail. And I said like why don't we put into the goals of the people to have at least ten learnings during a year? You know fuck up, screw ups, whatever. Uh, it's a very aggressive approach to it, but it's also you know nailing the head of the problem here uh, because we have to not only work with culture we have to work with you know the dry ass boring things as processes and we have to enable people's mindsets to to change and flip the, the vision of what a failure is i just learned how not to do it i i just you know when i was five years old i just learned that you know the oven gets warm when it's on uh, it's you know but i didn't I, I didn't fail my life because i got burnt from the oven i didn't fail when i rolled my bike for the first time and you know scratched my knees so i never wanted to ride my bike again i didn't fail i just learned i just went up on it again and tried another time um, and i think this is um, super super important to uh, to bring with you towards your organization and if someone comes in as an innovation manager don't hate them. Just understand that they're up for it. <laughs> they are up for something really hard. But but hasn't that Noelle, hasn't that to do like with ownership of teams as well? Like in order to scale on innovation, you may be giving out responsibility to a certain teams working with that specific task, for example. So it could also have to do with ownership and deliveries, for example. Um, I don't really understand. Like if if you want to create innovation in a company, you were mentioning like processes and diversity and organization, et cetera, et cetera. But also, I also think it's impo- important to look into ownership of teams. Maybe a team that are building something should have more responsibility or ownership into that. But of course, with certain frames. And I think that is also very key uh, going forward. And I think you're also pointing out again here, like, what we talked about in the beginning about acceptance culture and i think if if you have a company that is accepting and that is uh you know you can speak up you can question things but also accept things and and have a drive in in a certain direction will also be the solution for acceptance of women in tech or more women in tech for example i think that goes kind of hand in hand and i think that's key in order to be a profitable business going and I think that's a really great way of putting it. I mean, you know, ownership and, and teams, et cetera, et cetera. For the first, innovation should happen everywhere in the organization. Innovation is also best made from the people, you know, at the bottom of the organization that's working on a daily basis on the things that needs to be done. And imagine if you would have to have, if you would have a manager that said to you, like, today you can do whatever you want, spend as much money as you would like to. Uh, you know, certain companies believe very 
you know, deeply in having hackathons, that's kind of one of the things that you can do for it. But I think, you know, that's just shooting loose rounds, to, to, to be honest, because you have to be delivered bottom up and top down when you're working with innovation. And, and if you really want to be a truly innovative organization. Um, so um, everyone should feel enabled to do this. Um, but also, if you if you choose to go down the lane that you were talking about, Malina, where you have certain teams working on certain projects, that's also something that the company board or the company management needs to be aware of because that can easily turn into silification of the different teams working on a specific project. But if you have a strategy, then this is you know really nerdy talks for me. But if you have a strategy that permits you and your company to have like you know there's an openness for corporate venturing. And if you have a really great idea, which has a spin-off effect on the entire company and the company, you know, sees that this is not really part of our business model anymore because you were truly innovative and you find new ways to do this. We don't want to have this in, in our core business, but we can, you know, put money into you. You can create your own company and then we can be your mother company. That's an, also another way of, you know, managing the risks of having more autonomy in the teams and maybe finding right talents, doing the right things. Uh, uh, broadening your 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 overall business as well. Okay, sounds like we we touched on quite a bit there. Um, do, you, do you have anything else to round it off? Or are you are you done there? No, I you know just love the innovation manager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the that's the takeaway. I love this. <laughs> okay, so what we'll do, we'll leave it there. Within this episode, we've touched on quite a few different things from what is working in tech, from what are our allies in the diverse culture, and also resistance with innovation. So I want to take this moment to say thank you to each of you, Melina, Camilla, Noelia, thank you so much for joining and giving your insights on these great topics. I really do appreciate it, and thank you for listening.